0: On today's podcast, Mars Hill Masculinity and Ministry, I'm going to be talking about uh, warning signs that you're part of a controlling church with a controlling pastor, what works in men's ministry and what doesn't, and a bunch of other topics. Help you check it out. Welcome to The Kindling Fire. My name is Troy Mangum. God is preaching a sermon to the world through people's lives. People's experience, history, and testimonies all point to some amazing attribute of God that you too can experience. I interview revolutionaries, fire starters, and troublemakers. This podcast is here to be a voice of encouragement in your life, a voice that says, with God you can, and with God you will step into the abundant life. So let's get rolling. I wrote the book Fatherhood Face Plants, how to get back up and be the dad your kids need to help dads like me dads that needed to learn all kinds of things about being a dad that I didn't know. For instance, overcoming dad guilt, uh, being able to pass on personal victories as your children's inheritance, learning how to be a good dad by loving my wife, first you know some of the early readers uh one early reader said i've never felt more compelled to hug my kids kiss my wife and chase god more than while reading fatherhood face plants another person read one of the gutsiest most honest rawest books i've ever read for men if that sounds like something interesting to you go to amazon.com and pick up fatherhood face plants today i've listened to eight to nine hours of the rise and fall of mars hill an investigative podcast done by Christianity Today and, uh, and it's just stirred up all kinds of um, um, I, uh, things that need to be responded to and I want to kind of give my take on a couple things and, uh, and so again with no history with Mark Driscoll I've never listened to his sermons I didn't know anything about the church uh, but being exposed to it through this investigative reporting Uh, It's just stirred up all kinds of um, things that I want to speak to because of my own personal experience with different churches and pastors and and different things like that. So this is actually going to be uh, multiple topics, and I I can't say that I'm excited. (laughs) I always say that I'm excited. I'm not excited, but I feel like it's necessary for me to respond to a couple things. So let's just start with this. Um, We all know that ministers are falling right and left. Uh, That's no news. Uh, They've actually been falling right and left for many years. Uh, That's no news. And so one of the things that was critiqued against the rise and fall of Mars Hill is that this is slanderous and it is slander. I want to just read the definition of slander and then I want to make a comment. Uh, Slander is basically the action or the crime of making a false spoken statement damaging a person's reputation. So some of the things that are really key there is it's a false statement and it and it's intended to damage reputation. Think of gossip. That's completely based on, you know, information that's not true. Now, one of the things uh, that has been said of the rise and fall of Mars Hill is, oh gosh, here we are, the church slandering each other. Okay, so here's my take on that. First off, it's not slanderous. Why do I say that? Because when someone is public, in the public eye, and they make public statements, they are accountable for those statements. I don't care what position you are as a minister or whatever. Same thing for me. You are accountable for what you say in public. So if you do not uh, want to be critiqued and and confronted and challenged what you say in public, don't say it in public. Stop saying it. Uh, so when somebody does a investigative report on hours and hours and hours and hours and, hours and years and years and years of somebody's sermon series that completely, you know, it's called the Rise and Fall. You know, it became a major megachurch, and then it just destroyed itself under the leadership of Mark Driscoll. Um, and so this is not going to be a podcast about uh, lambasting Mark Driscoll. I actually, you know... don't have any feelings about the guy either way, but I do have a responsibility, I feel like, to you guys in my audience to be able to talk about and help you guide unhealthy church situations, unhealthy leadership situations, uh, give commentary to some of the scriptures that are used to back up some of this, what I would call abusive behavior. And I would say that from my own background, uh, if you've read my book, uh, you know that, that spiritual abuse and Abuse in general, it's a hot topic for me. Um, I've certainly been an abuser, and I've been abused. Uh, But this is not some sort of, oh, let me suck my thumb and feel sorry for myself, and I don't want that to be for you. This is to help you understand Scripture, understand situations. If you're in unhealthy church situations, to get out uh, underneath unhealthy, broken, abusive pastors to get out. And so, etc. cetera. So, so I'm just going to be, uh, talking about all kinds of things, uh, that this Mars Hill podcast has done. And I want to applaud Christianity today for doing this. Um, their, needs, they do a fair job of people giving the good and the, and the, and the smiles and the spirit of God and all the good that happened. Uh, but that's where there's a problem. A lot of times when there's good. People overlook the bad, and they don't confront the bad because, well, clearly God's hands on you because of all this fruit. I'm going to be talking about that uh, in this podcast as well. Your spiritual giftings and your talents are not God's stamp of approval on your life. Uh, For a long time, I thought it was of mine, but my character could not keep up with the gifting and talent that God had given me, and there's a lot of ministers that have the same kind of situation. Um, And so, anyway... Enough by all that. Let's just dig right in. So let's start with this, mis- what I would call a um, misunderstanding, or what I would say uh, when pastors overreach. So let's talk about Hebrews 13, 17. So in this verse, uh, actually, I got to go find it. Okay, it says, this is what it says. Uh, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do so, Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, uh, for this will be of no benefit for you. I'm going to read another, comment, uh, another version, New American Standard Bible. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they may do this with joy, not groaning, as this would be unhelpful for you. Uh, another scripture that I want to ca- highlight is uh, Acts 20 uh, 27 and 28. Uh, for we didn't this is uh, speak, Paul speaking about himself and in other probably ministers, for we did not shrink back from declaring the whole will of God to you. Keep watch over yourselves um, and the entire flock for which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So these are like anchor scriptures, okay, for pastors. Uh, when they read these scriptures, they feel the weight of these scriptures. They feel the weight of the call of God, and they feel, I want to be key on this, the responsibility for you and I, the responsibility for you and I. So here's, here's the piece that I think I want to make sure that you understand uh, if you're a pastor listening or if you go to a church. Number one, my pastor is not responsible for my spiritual growth. You know, when I stand before God, God is not going to say, Troy, tell me everything your pastor didn't do for you, and then we can negotiate where you stand in my sight. The Bible is very, very clear that a man rises and falls on his own obedience or sinfulness. Now, uh, does that mean the minister, these scriptures are not true? No, they are very true. If God calls you to be an overseer, if God calls you to entrust people to you. I'll I'll think of it this way uh, from a family standpoint. My actions as a father has impact on my children. My action as a husband has impact on my wife. I am accountable for that. I'm accountable for that. Before God, I'm accountable for that. Does that mean, okay, so let's, so that I'm accountable for that. That's a, that's a scriptural understanding. So does that mean I need to step into my wife's life or my children's life to guarantee, quote unquote, that they're going to do everything right because I am responsible for their spiritual growth? Well, a lot of times pastors uh, basically step over the line, and that's exactly what Mark Driscoll did. One, uh, One of the things that was so cringing in listening to the podcast about this sort of history of this church is that he would use this scripture and basically then say, as your spiritual authority, I'm going to dictate to you what is going to happen. And then he would say something like, it is unbiblical for women to work outside of the home. And if you're an elder at this church, and if your wife works outside of the home, you will never be an elder at this church. Quote, I am responsible for you. Now, I've been in environments where pastors use this to overreach their jurisdiction. So just to be clear, very, very clear, if you're a pastor, uh, your pastor is not responsible for your spiritual growth. You are responsible for your spiritual growth. Your obedience cannot be blamed on someone else. Your sinfulness cannot be blamed on someone else. That is you before God. God gave the revelation of Scripture to you this is not priest you know this is we we broke free from the catholic model right so you have the scriptures to you directly and you will be accountable directly now here's a sad commentary there is a seminaries and, and other schools of thought that put even more pressure on pastors about how quote responsible they are for people's souls uh, I ran across this blog in preparation for this podcast, and it just breaks my heart, and I'm going to read you a little bit of it. Uh, this, it goes like this. The cost of ministerial failure, i.e. pastors, is the eternal destiny of the very people the Lord has entrusted to your care. Okay, add insult to injury. If you are not perfect, pastor, and you morally fail, you are sending people to hell. That is blasphemy and not even close to true. And it goes on to heap even more like weight on pastors. Certainly, the responsibility of believing the gospel is on the individual. Okay, great. Ezekiel 1820 mis- makes it plain that an individual uh, will be judged for their own sins. And that's kind of what I was alluding to. You are not responsible for my spiritual growth, pastor, um, just to be clear. Now, you're responsible for before God to give the whole counsel of God, to teach it, but you are not responsible for my spiritual growth. That is my decision. But and it goes on this blo- I'm sorry, that was commentary. That goes on to say in the blog, but ministers who are charged as watchmen, under shepherds of the great shepherd, who who will with the responsibility of warning sinners of their impeding judgment of God, if they do not issue this warning, that they are hell bent uh, hellbound bound um, without the gospel, uh, God says, Ezekiel 33, 7 and 9, the blood, um, his blood will be on your hands, okay? Uh, meaning if you don't tell them about the gospel, you don't tell them about Jesus, then you're going to be guilty before God of their blood being on your hands. When a pastor reads uh, that he is accountable to God for the souls in his care, the first reason his blood should run cold is that the souls he is accountable for are eternal. If we fall, fail to warn them about God's wrath and tell them of the gospel which can save them, we have a reckoning with the Lord Himself. He takes this matter very seriously. Now, what am I? What's my point here? The big highlight in this blog was the cost of ministerial failure is the eternal destiny of the very people God has entrusted to your care. Now, um. Uh, how can I put this very quickly? Um, you will not stand before God, and no man will stand before God, and God's gonna commentate on your pastor. God's gonna say, Did you or did you not follow me? Yet pastors are around their believing that they are gonna stand be- that, that their congregation is gonna stand before God. And God is going to commentate on the pastor's job. That is absolutely ridiculous. And it is absolutely uh, moving the pastor from a role of responsible to sort of king pastor, I would say. So, meaning that you were not king pastor. There was no king in front of pastor, right? Th- these are not your royal subjects. Uh, a lot of times, uh, a lot of times people can. Um, Uh, oh gosh, this way, uh, not every relationship between a pastor and his congregation is Paul and Timothy. All right, the Bible is very clear about Paul and Timothy's relationship. Timothy was younger, Paul was older, they were like a father-son relationship, but some pastors try to make people that are in their church, their Timothys, quote unquote. I'm going to challenge that and basically say there are all kinds of relationships God has, peer relationships, and they're not all Timothys. Uh, let me give you an example. Paul and Barnabas, uh, in Acts 13, it says the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work of ministry. Okay, It didn't say set apart Paul and have Barnabas be an intern to Paul. The Holy Spirit, God himself, said Paul and Barnabas are equally set apart for this mission, which they went and did. What ended up happening? So in Acts 15, uh, a sharp disagreement came up because John Mark uh, basically had, I don't know exactly what he did, but he basically uh, failed somehow. Uh, maybe he didn't live up to his word. Maybe he lied. I don't know what he did, but he did something. And so it came up to this, this issue where Barnabas was like, give him a chance. And Paul was like, heck no. Sounds like a, a church dispute, okay? So, so there's somebody in question that has failed. And there were two different responses. I will never trust that person again. He is untrustworthy. He will not be a part of my ministry. I don't want him. Cut him loose. Get him, rid of him. Give him a chance. This is Barnabas. Give him a chance. Have mercy on him. Give, you know, Have grace, etc. Paul and Barnabas equals viewed the situation differently. Paul is not more called of God, then Barnabas was called of God. They both had different callings. Now, now, I would say that in this case, Barnabas absolutely was right to give John Mark another chance. Barnabas basically says, John Mark, you can come minister with me. Let's go the missions in this direction. Paul said, I wanna have nothing to do with you, Barnabas, because you're gonna side on this guy's behalf, and so he went another direction years and years later when paul was on near his old age and kind of death in 2 timothy uh, four eleven, paul actually asked for john mark to be to be sent to him because he's so useful for ministry so there had been some kind of reconciliation another reconciliation is that the gospel of mark was written by john mark so the person that paul rejected and said he is unworthy he shouldn't be in ministry. He screwed up. I will never trust him. I don't want to have anything to do with him. Wrote the Gospel of Mark. Very, very interesting. All right. Now, if that had been a situation where, where you know, it was a Paul and Timothy situation and Timothy was seeing this, now I'm telling you that there is a, um, not every relationship in the church is a Paul and Timothy. Just because there's a pastor doesn't mean that pastor is your Paul and every person in the congregation is a Timothy. God has different types of relationships in churches. And, and again, it's not king subjects. It's not Paul, Timothy. There are Paul and Barnabas relationships as well. And that's kind of one of the things I want to, want to make sure. Now, one of the things that was interesting about Mark Driscoll with the Marx hill story was that there was no man of God like Barnabas who would stand saying, I'm called of God and you're wrong. And that's what Barnabas did to Paul. I am called of God, and you are wrong in this case. And God ended up showing how wrong Paul was by Paul later repenting, inviting John Mark to be back a part of his life, and then John Mark becoming, you know, writing the Gospel of Mark. Clearly, God had his hand on John Mark, even though he failed. Okay, another thing I want to talk about is what I would call pastor centric churches. So these are essentially uh, church communities that are, that are surrounded around a certain individual or their call or their giftedness. And Mark Dristel and Marcel was this in spades. That meant that there was no equals to Mark, and if they were, they were driven out. Um, and, uh, and he you know, kind of used his God called me card um, to effectively not have anyone challenge his power. And, uh, and he would always look at you know, the, the evidence of what God had done through his life as evidence that God had called him Therefore, he should never be challenged in anything that he says and anything that he does. Um, so, uh, if you were in the, so here's my uh, word of warning to, to those: if you were in a what I would call a personality-driven church or a pastor-centric church, uh, I would be very cautious. Um, I've been in, in, I've been involved in those churches, and I've been involved in what I call team team-like churches, and these are where uh, God calls a team of people. Uh, equally called by God equally gifted by God maybe differently but the team is held in honor and respect to take care of the congregation versus a single s- pastor uh, is held as being you know responsible uh, I would say that the churches that have had team uh, where there's a true team and true uh, multi-person respect those are the healthiest communities uh, the ones that are uh, what I would call pastor-centric uh, are usually uh, they, they are. It's very high risk. You know, basically things rise and fall on, on the on the on that pastor, and and I don't believe it's it's a what I would call a biblical model. Um, yeah, so you can comment you can comment on that if you think otherwise, or you're a pastor, or whatever. I mean, I do believe God calls individuals, but He calls them, I think, in community, not as single people. And um, and I would say that that can be husband and wife, um, but sometimes there can be lack of accountability there uh, because it's such an intimate relationship. And so I would say more peers uh, would be would be important. Okay, so uh, what else do I want to uh, commentate here on? Um, I would say about the um, demanding loyalty at all costs. So one of the things that if you have if you're in a spiritual community. Where you feel like, um, like loyalty is the absolute number one, um, number one, uh, you know, attribute of the church. Be warned, you know, uh, it's very likely a controlling environment. Jesus created a free environment around him. Uh, you know, he sent out the seventy-two. He sent out the twelve. He gave them instructions, but he didn't, like, you know, have a camera on them. You know, looking at what they were doing. Uh, and I would say that um, a lot of times, uh, churches that demand exclusive loyalty is a big red flag. Let me give you another one: sign a covenant to join this church. First off, you can't you can't biblically back that up. The Bible says, "Let your yes be yes, and your no be no." And anything more than that, you know, uh, why are you asking for more than that? A lot of times, when when pastors marry the I am spiritually responsible before God for your soul. Therefore, sign a covenant with me. Then I can assert my dominance and power over you to ensure that I won't be judged harshly uh, because of you know. Effectively, I can control the whole situation. Um, people that I re- respect and admire, um, uh, Francis Chan would be one. Um, oh, many others, uh, Bill Bright would be others. Billy Graham would be others. Um, the reason why I admire them is that they let go of power, particularly Francis Chan. He left when he left the mega church. Nobody leaves mega churches, right? The the checks coming in, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he was convicted by the Lord to do it because he felt like it wasn't the pure b- biblical model. People typically don't step down, right? So John the Baptist versus John the Baptist um, basically says, you know, he is greater, and he stepped. Down. Um, so uh, another thing that I would say that if um, if you've been in environments where they really love the Jonathan David story, um, you know this is the um, Jonathan the armor, uh, not Jonathan David, the uh, the armor bearer bear story, right? So my whole calling is to be your armor bearer and to open doors for you and all this other stuff. And 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 I guess what I'm trying to say is there's an unhealthy honor culture. Um, uh, sometimes in churches uh, that really move pastor from pastor to king. And it's just wrong. Uh, if you have any of that going on in your churches, uh, run. <laughs> that would be my recommendation. Uh, don't sign covenants. Um, uh, it's not right. Um, so uh, uh, I'll make a couple more comments here. Uh, the Bible says in Romans 11:29, uh, for the gifting of calling of God are without repentance or are irrevocable. You know, one of the things that God will aggravate you in is that God may give a spiritual gift or talent to someone that, whose character doesn't support it. It could be a preaching gift, a speaking gift, a writing gift, a supernatural gift. Uh, there's been some healing evangelists in this space where God uses them in supernatural ways, but their character is crap and so how can that be how can your character be bad and you have a supernatural gift and how does that all work Uh, i wish i could tell you the full answer in that and i don't understand that's a bit of a mystery Uh, but i will say this that talent is not equal character 100 percent. let me tell you from my own life Um, you know i had the ability to preach or to teach or to or to speak uh, all the while, my character did not hold up in my relation, my wife, or my children, or my family. And so, uh, anytime that there would be spiritual, like I, I'd get a spiritual windfall, I get a prophetic word, or I get some major opportunity, or God moves in some supernatural way through me, I would always, I always view that as God's stamp of approval on me in total. And my wife would always be like, uh, "That's inconsistent, you know. <laughs> he's got this fruit here, but he's such a jerk at home." Um, So I had a long history of kind of shoring up my character. I'm certainly not out of the woods, but that certainly was sort of the the, the trajectory I was on. And um, and a lot of people don't have the maturity to understand that difference. Uh, Mark Driscoll, number one, right? Um, His character was not even close to to, uh, being someone that should have been trusted with what he was trusted with, though he was spiritually gifted. And I would say, very much called. I I don't know him from Adam, but I would say, yeah, he's probably called. But when your character doesn't match your talent, when you marry that with arrogance, pride, uh, controlling spirit, fear, and all this other stuff, um, you're just adding insult to injury. You will not grow in character. It has been my experience that when people can challenge you, when you apologize, when you humble yourself, when you give away power, where you offer you, you become the servant, God can shore up your character and you can become a more whole human being to carry the gift of God on your life. If you protect your power, if you never give it away, if you accuse people, if you attack people, you know, all the things that happen at Mars Hill, um, you pretty much guarantee your character is going to continue to be terrible and God bless anybody that's around you because if you have a authority in their life spiritually, um, you're going to destroy them. Now, they're still responsible, right? They're still responsible for, before God. I'm just going to say that a lot of times people over-rotate on, oh gosh, my pastor is everything, whereas honestly our relationship with Jesus is everything, and pastors are there to serve and and teach us the Word of God a part of their role, and love and care for us and show us the love of God, but they're certainly not perfect people uh, by any means. Uh, so. A couple more commentaries on on stuff that I heard in that that podcast series is let's talk about sex for a minute. Um, So clearly Mark Driscoll had issues with sex, uh, probably unhealthy issues with sex. And one of the things that he used that scripture, again, I'm responsible for your souls, he would make statements like, why do pastor's wives let themselves go? If pastors' wives get all fat and nasty, um, you know they're not—you know—are they just making it so much more difficult for the quote man of God to be pure and the man of God to be faithful because she's so nasty and fat, and um, and that is just cruel, unkind. It's his own personal issues, but he would say stuff like that from the pulpit. Um, maybe not nasty and fat, but he would he would say you know let themselves go. Um, you know, that, he would call that a sin uh, of the wife to do that. Um, and here's the thing that um, really, really, really irks me because I've been personally hurt by this. When somebody takes an opinion, they have a scripture and they have an opinion on that scripture, um, then, and then they treat that opinion as gospel, it is, I mean, they will be ac- accountable before God. Um, and they do not have the fear of God. And in this particular case, he would take certain passages and certain things, and he would extrapolate out of that that this is how it should be, and women should do this, and women should do that sexually, um, you know, should undress in front of their husbands, and all this other stuff. You know, that you're not going to get from Scripture, but he would make it like as if the Bible said that kind of crap, and it didn't. And so it created this culture that the women were basically feeling like they were morally responsible for their husband's uh, lust and pornography and uh, uh, failing sexually, etc. Not the husband wasn't responsible before God, which he is, just to be clear, Uh, they were responsible and it created this really unhealthy fear and sex environment. Um, And I was going to say that, you know, first off, if you equate fear and sex together that is not God, right? There should be no fear in the bedroom uh, between a man and and uh, his wife. Uh, there should be freedom. Uh, there should be um, uh, yeah, just a freedom there. Uh, but he was creating this environment, like, hey, women, if you do not look good, because women like you know, men like men, women that look good, then then effectively you're leading your your husband into sin to go find. Uh, sexual pleasure somewhere else. It, a complete BS uh, and he was preaching that kind of crap as gospel uh, which was just his opinion. Now another I'll give you another example in, in not related to sex. I think there was a talking about children obeying their parents and, and how if uh, you, you told a toddler to not raise their hand when you're feeding them and if they were to raise their hand or move their hands even though you told them not to, you were to slap their hand and they taught that as the Bible. They taught that as, you know, this is a biblical way of discipline. It's abusive and it's terrible. And that's the kind of stuff that uh, when you um, hear scripture and you hear people preach it and it's their opinion and not the authoritative word of God or God's not clear on it, beware. Beware. That is false, uh, false. And the last thing I'll say on, um, on this piece is about back to the slanderous comment that I made about this podcast, people accusing him of being slander. You know, when Paul confronted false teachers, was he slanderous? No. And, and I would say that the, the uh, Christianity Today commentary on this rise and fall of this church and his teachings, I would say he was a, he was a false teacher. He taught out of his opinion. He taught out of his own brokenness, of his own unresolved issues in his life, and his heart. And he preached them his gospel, and he'll be accountable before God for it. And uh, and it's right that they called it out because Paul called out false teachers. Jesus called out false teachers. And uh, that's not being slanderous. That's just being um, uh, helping the body of Christ. So the last thing I'll uh, say is about men's ministry. You know, he was a very masculine men first kind of uh, preacher, which honestly, I, you know, there, there's a lot of um, what he, I guess he would call them, you know, soft males and queers in the pulpit or whatever. I mean, he was always very braggadocious and very sort of over the top in his masculinity. And, um, and so a couple things I would say there. Um, first off, um, there is a ministry. This I'll give them a positive on this. There is a ministry to men that is a confrontation, right? Not everything is a soft pillow and a hug, right? Um, the way that God deals with men, uh, there is a lot of times confrontation and calling them higher and challenging them. That is very much a biblical model for ministry to men. Now, there's also the 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 soft and the loving. Kind attribute of God. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So not everything is a man up and stop being a wimp. And He would use other terms that I won't say on this podcast. Um, And uh, you know, there there are times when God comes in His fatherly love and comfort, as He would to a boy or a child. And so um, one of the things that I will say is, I've been around a lot of men's ministries through the years. Um, the ones that get it right last and the ones that get it wrong are go away. The ones that get it right last, years after years after years, and the ones that get it wrong, uh, they go away. I'll give you some examples. Um, I love Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers was great. What was Promise Keepers based on? It was based on the seven promises. What were the seven promises, outward expressions of things they were supposed to do? Um, why are they not around anymore? The heart, which I believe John Eldridge focuses a lot more on the heart and the root cause of things, um, will undermine, if your heart is broken and, and you, you're, going, you're under lies and vows and other things like that, it will undermine the good you intend to do. And no matter how hard you press, uh, you will fail. And so promise keepers, I would say, failed because they focused on Man keeping those seven promises versus God bringing healing and restoration at a heart level and then setting them free to actually, you know, be free to follow his promises. In Mark Driscoll's case, he was punitive, he was abrasive, he was abusive uh, to the men, you know, man up, rise up, you know, da 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 da. He would even commentate on promise keepers about how they were just a bunch of namby pambies or all motive and crying and hugging and he would say you know stop being such a wimp and follow god Um, well you can see where that men's ministry led right so the men's ministries that last uh, and i would say elders is a good example there are many others um you know are the ones that focus on the right stuff which is the heart and then out of the heart comes the actions if you if your ministry just focuses on actions and willpower like will it out overcome the sin whatever Um, you're not going to have the power. It's going to have a form of godliness, but it's going to deny its power. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to connect, go over to Instagram, search Troy Mangum or The Kindling Fire, and we can connect there, and that would be a great way to kind of stay in touch. I am doing a YouTube channel, so we do video formats of these podcasts, and we'd love to have you look there. Okay guys, until next time, be awesome.